This is a podcast by Wellhouse Church, where certain things are fixed, the essentials of faith, and the best beer is served on tap, while everything else is just a matter of perspective. Hey everybody, welcome to Pints and Perspectives. I'm excited for today. I have my longtime friend with us, and uh, before I introduce him, I do have a disclaimer. Uh, We are breaking the sacred rule of Pints and Perspectives. There's no beer this episode because it's like early in the morning and so we need our coffee first so we'll pick that up at later episodes in the series but i have brought my longtime friend and mentor uh ben blackwell onto the podcast to talk about the kingdom of god and i first met dr ben at uh, hbu he ended up being my supervisor of my master's thesis uh who I am today as a pastor is deeply indebted to this man and his influence on me. So, bro, glad to have you here. Excited to spend the day with you recording content. Yeah, it's great. Thank you. It's, uh, I'm excited about uh, what you're doing here at the church and all this as well. So it's good to see the fruit of God's work in your life and the family and ministry. Yeah, I appreciate it. So why don't you tell our listeners a little bit about you, biography kind of stuff. So I've uh, been teaching, I guess, for about a decade now here at Houston Baptist and with our seminary, Houston Theological Seminary, and helped direct that. And before that, I studied, did my PhD in England. So we lived there for five years and studied with uh, John Barclay, who is a preeminent uh, New Testament scholar, and then also had the opportunity to work with N.T. Wright for a couple of years as his research assistant. So I couldn't have picked out a more fairy tale experience for that uh, time in, in the UK. And so that was great. Before that, I went to seminary in Dallas at Dallas Theological Seminary. And then also uh, before that, went to college in Arkansas. So been around the religion game for a while and have interest in uh, things that are mostly biblical studies, but also theology and just the practice of church and um, how people live out the gospel. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Uh, John Barclay and Tom Wright, if you don't know, they're, they're the guys. I mean, if, if you were going to, uh, build the prototype, um, New Testament scholar studying with both of them would be at the top of the list to formulate uh, a really good New Testament scholar. And we just happen to have him sitting here. <laughs> so good, good stuff. Glad uh, for Ben to be here. So we are talking about the kingdom of God. And the kingdom of God is first and foremost vital to understanding the New Testament and the mission and call of Jesus. It is also arguably the most overlooked element of the New Testament for most people. Um, we have different people talking about it in different ways, but, and this is partly the problem by and large in new Testament studies, we run to Paul to see what he has to say about Jesus rather than just letting Jesus speak for himself a lot of the times. So a lot of our doctrines and understanding of Jesus come from the formulations of Paul. And because of that, Paul doesn't actually use kingdom of God language. Like that phrasing very often, Paul doesn't use that. Yeah, it shows up a little bit, but it's not as central for sure as it is for Jesus's ministry. Right. And now there are elements of the kingdom of God that are very prevalent 
in Paul's ministry Mm -hmm. and writings. Mm -hmm. But because he doesn't use that phrasing very often, we miss this key theme in the way to understand it. Yeah, I think that's right. If you, uh, interesting thing about Paul, you know, he focuses so much on Jesus' death and resurrection. So if you ask like, what's Paul's favorite uh, parable that Jesus teaches? Well, Paul never mentions any Jesus right, parables. Yeah. Or what's his favorite miracle story? Well, Paul never mentions that. And so if you're looking at Jesus's life and ministry through uh, Paul's um, summary, uh, Paul focuses very much on the death and resurrection of Christ. So, of course, that's like the climactic moment and, of course, not to be missed. Uh, but the Gospels, you know, we have four Gospels, about three-quarters of the New Testament, tell a whole lot more than just the death and resurrection. And so to get what Jesus is about, I think is important to get what happens before the death and resurrection. And um, some have said in the past, like the gospels even are passion narratives with a long introduction. And so one of the things with all that is that the word passion is from the Latin word to suffer. Right. And so it's a summary of Jesus's suffering on the cross and his resurrection. And I think that even gets it wrong. It's like there's actually something formative and substantive about what Jesus's own ministry is about that is transformative for the church today. And it's not just Sunday school stories that lead us into the real thing that happens on the cross. It's not the appetizer before the main course. Yeah, that's right. That's right. So it, it's all part of setting up what is Jesus here to even do and what's what's he uh you know, why did he even come to earth? And so, of course, the cross is the climax of that and the resurrection. And so we don't want to minimize that. But at the same time, the cross and the resurrection actually only makes sense in light of what his ministry and teaching was all about before that. Yeah, and I think uh, I think Mark does a really good job of showing this to us, how the kingdom of God theme kind of runs throughout the narrative. Maybe more... Uh, focal than the other gospels do because the other gospels are doing other things literary wise. Yeah, I would say, I mean, each of them have their own way. And, um, before we get into the content of what the kingdom is, I want to give a, an example, a story that maybe kind of helps set up how we, we miss this. So I've been married for about, uh, almost 25 years now. Um, and, uh, not always the most attentive husband though. And so about five years ago, we had moved back from England. Uh, when we moved, we got rid of a lot of our Christmas decorations, things like that. And so when we uh, were there at the house and my wife, my mother-in-law had sent this package to my wife and it was like these three big snowmen. I mean, they're about almost a uh, foot tall each, which, which is kind of weird. My wife doesn't have a lot of big decorations like that. I mean, we'll have tend to have things that kind of hang on the wall, big kind of wreath things and such, but not stuff that sets out. And so I was like, man, that's just kind of a weird gift for your mom to give you that. And she's like, why don't you say that? I was like, well, you know, it's just kind of big and snowmen. And she's like, well, why would that be a weird gift? And I was like, well, I don't, you're not into snowmen, are you? And she's like, well, why don't, why don't you look around the living room here? And so then I start to gaze, you know, pan around my whole living room, the kitchen area as well. And it's like dozens of snowmen <laughs> <laughs> around the house. <laughs> so I've been married almost uh, 20 years at this point. 
and it would had just never uh i'd passed this by yeah. staring me in the face that this is what my wife was interested in and um it's the same thing when I started studying the Bible and I, you know, did a four year master's degree. I mean, it was like the crazy long master's degree in theology. And it wasn't until I started doing my PhD. And of course I was doing it on Paul, but I started working with N.T. Wright and the kingdom of God is one of his and Jesus's ministry is one of his major things. And so as I started into this, it was like, Oh my gosh, this is, this is all over the new Testament. And so and particularly Jesus' own ministry, it's like, well, if it's important to Jesus, it, we, yeah. should, we should be talking about it more often than we do. And yeah. it was just one of these things, like, I I think I had just missed the boat of, like, what I thought Christianity was about. Yeah. Because um, it has to do with who do we think Jesus is? What's his own identity? What's he here to uh, achieve? What What's the church about? And so it's one of these things that I think you're right, that we totally missed the boat on this. and. Um, you know, so it starts with Jesus' own ministry. His first sermon is repent and believe because the kingdom of God is at hand. And yeah. you have these other passages. So that's in Mark 1, uh, 14, 15 there. And you have these other things. He teaches these parables about the kingdom of God is like, and he, yep. he's doing the gospel of the kingdom and preaching and teaching. And so it's all the way throughout when you get to Acts chapter 1, when it talks about just after his death and resurrection, he's here for 40 days. And what does he teach about for those 40 days again? Kingdom, Kingdom of God. God. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, and you get to the end of Acts. And as Paul's preaching there in Rome in prison, it says, what is he preaching about? The last verse of Acts says he's preaching about the Kingdom of God. And so it's uh, all over the place. And yet we don't talk about it that much as in the church and in the way that we read the Bible. Yeah, and it it is that situation. And I think part of it is, you know, the the common way that we refer to it is the kingdom of God because as I mentioned before, I think Mark Mark gives us the biggest kind of picture as the kingdom of God is Mark's theme. It's his thematic marker throughout. But Luke also chooses to use the kingdom of God language. Uh but the other two gospels talk about the kingdom of God in different verbiage. So Matthew uses kingdom of God four times, but of the 30 some odd times he mentions the kingdom of God, he actually calls it the kingdom of heaven. He doesn't call it the kingdom of God. And in John, uh, he doesn't use it at all. He calls it eternal life. Yeah. It's this different thing, but it's in the same category. So for, for all of these writers, the kingdom of God is for Mark and Luke, it's the kingdom of God. And for Matthew, kingdom of heaven and John, eternal life are all the kingdom of God. And I think that's important to understand that they're all talking about the same thing. Now, this does lead itself to a bit of a, a hermeneutical jump, a, a, a leap in the interpretation, because then when we go back to Luke in, in the, the travel narrative, when he's traveling to Jerusalem in those 10 chapters in the middle of the, the gospel, mm -hmm. when he tells us the parable of the good Samaritan, the, the, the expert comes to him and says, what do I have to do to inherit eternal life? Yep. We've read John. And so we read into that something that I don't think Luke actually means that scribe that that expert doesn't have that construct. 
Like that's something different. He's asking a different question mm. than what do I have to do for the kingdom of God. Yeah. But Jesus answers him with a kingdom of God answer. Yeah, I would say, like in that sense, you have um, inheriting eternal life, and like you said before, is very overlaps with in, inheriting the kingdom of God. And so that says, I guess it does go back into this question of what what are they are even expecting for life and the kingdom, um, and one of those things that's inherent to that is that God's you know, rule and reign, as they say, like things are running the way God intended them to be. And I think oh, that's yeah. in, in inherent to this whole idea is that, um, you know, whether it's restoration for things to be in the way that they're not, or for people to live in a way that they haven't been living, that God is there. And so that's, you know, one of the things with the Good Samaritan then is, um, or that parable is that, you know, sometimes even the religious folks get the, you know, they're not living according to what God had intended for the world. Yeah. And so that's uh, part of that whole reversal there. Yeah. So let's talk uh, just a quick introduction, because I think this is also a part of the problem is we as Americans overlook the kingdom of God because we don't live in a monarchy. So we don't have like a true construct of a kingdom idea um, because a kingdom is different than an empire, right? So when we get to Paul in Romans and like this idea of empire um, or just the Roman empire, that's different than a kingdom in, in some ways. And so help us formulate, you lived, you said you lived in the UK. Yep. So you have a very good understanding of kingdom. And so what is a kingdom model what does it mean to hear that under a kingdom model that it can be a kingdom of God? Yeah, that's a, so the UK is an interesting version of that, right? I mean, it's the United Kingdom, right? <laughs> I mean, that's the whole idea is that, uh, but it, in a lot of ways, I think the, the British monarchy actually sets the framework the, for the way a lot of Christians think about um, theology and just the life of the church is that, the monarchy has no relevance to daily life. It's, mm. it's something it's nice for Christmas, right? The queen always gives her speech at Christmas. Uh, they give some nice reality TV show kind of things of, for the tabloids and all that kind of stuff. Uh, but it, it has no relevance to the way that I live my daily life uh, for an average British person. Because again, that back, you know, several hundred years ago, they moved more to uh, not a con constitutional system because uh, they don't have a constitution like the U.S. does, but where you have a representative government. And so there's been so this, like parliament. Yeah, parliamentary system. Yeah, thank you. And so with parliament then and the prime minister and all that, that that's who helps set the legal framework and you know, the debates and the way that like we have the Republicans and Democrats here in the U.S. And so... Um, the, the monarchy then is just a, a nice show figure, right? And mm. so in that, uh, a cheerleader almost just for British identity. And in a lot of ways, that's the way we tend to think about the kingdom here. It's like, it's a, something that goes on, but in reality, the way that I live my life, it's my own kingdom, or there are these other kingdoms that are playing out. So whether the kingdom of uh, politics or 
you know, political parties and these things that we think this is the way flourishing in life is going to take place. And the whole idea of the kingdom of God was just as much a challenge to people's ideas in the new Testament and early Judaism is like, no, God gets to call the shots, not you. Mm, (laughs) And so that's the, that's always the challenge of the kingdom is that somebody else gets to uh, call the shots, you know, and particularly God, uh, doing that. And that's why it's the kingdom of God. Right. And so in the midst of all this, that it's submitting and, and, uh, repenting of our attempts to run things our way. Yeah. And I think, uh, that, that really is the, the kind of big picture narrative that we, we have to approach this topic with because we don't have uh, a kingdom in this way, but when Jesus comes onto the scene, he says, repent, and believe in the good news, the kingdom of God is at hand. Good news is, that's not a word that Jesus invents. Mm. It's a word that exists in culture and language, and it was a word used that someone, uh, when a new king or new political power would come to rise, they would go and shout, good news. So think back to your Isaiah 52 narrative, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. That, that narrative there is the destruction of a city and a messenger is coming and he's shouting good news, good news. There's, there's a new kingdom, there's a new thing coming to rise. And so when we think about this, when we think about earthly kingdoms, they're always distorted because they're based on power. They're based on a power structure and struggle for who can have the most power, the king. When Jesus comes on and says, repent and believe, the good news, so Mark, like the good news is that there's going to be a new king, mm-hmm. and that kingdom, we're going to call it, it's not empire, it's not Caesar, it's not Roman government, it's the kingdom of God. It's yes. like, I now have a construct that maybe this will be a good kingdom. Yeah, let me uh, uh, press on the empire question or topic. In, in some ways, empire might be the right term to use there. Is that it? Kingdom. Uh, so there's a few uh, New Testament folks that uh, are exploring these issues about what does it mean for Jesus to be king and the kingdom of God. And Scott McKnight, uh, Matthew Bates, another guy named Joshua Jip, and and they've argued that actually empire is the right term because okay. it's the sense that Caesar was seen in a way as a king. And so the idea of empire, in the same way that we think of power through politics, when Jesus comes to bring the kingdom of God, it's not a head-on uh, conflict with those political kingdoms. It's uh, I've learned a new term. I, we are big board gamers in our family, the term orthogonal, which just means that something hits from a perpendicular angle. Okay. And so in the way that the kingdom of God, or even we could say the empire of God doesn't hit political parties head on and, and the political, the way that we frame things, God's coming at this from a different angle. And yet it is the language of, empire there. King for us is what we are most familiar with, but 
um, you know, kings rule over this area. And so there, some translations you'll even see will translate kingdom of God as empire of God or something as a way to kind of push that it is actually political language, but it's not a political response to a political problem. It's saying, actually, this kingdom is, like Jesus says, a, is not of this world. And so it's not going to respond in those ways, but it is using language that they mm. would have understood in that way. So um, am I correct to think about this in uh, in Matthew when they come to him, say, should we pay taxes to Caesar? And he says, render under Caesar what is Caesar's and under God's what is God's. Like mm. they're not they're not head on colliding. They're they're actually two different things that are going to accomplish two different ends in which the kingdom of God will prevail. Yeah, that's right. So ultimately, the kingdom is of God is quite destabilizing to political categories, yeah. right? And so this is played out in different ways. You you even see this in Acts when they talk about that they're preaching this different king, and it yeah. it's why all these riots arise and all this kind of stuff is because people see when you quit living according to the power structures that political systems have set up then you actually are not manipulated by the things that they want you to be driven by. Right. right? And so uh, in that sense, it is destabilizing of those kingdoms, but it's also not organized in the same way. It's not uh, the levers of power are not the same. And so that way it's not a head on collision. Um, it, it subverts it from underneath or comes at it from a different angle. Now, how should, um, the final piece I want to talk about in this introduction is how should we think about this in terms of how um, the ancient trial narrative of Jesus uh, in the Gospels is taken? Because he goes through two trials, a Jewish trial and a Roman trial. The Jewish trial of blasphemy would have ended in a stoning. Like they didn't have permission to kill people by the Romans. So they take him to Pilate because they want him to kill, they want to kill him and Pilate crucifies him, which is, and what they put on the cross is king of the Jews because he's claiming to be a king. Mm -hmm. So when we look at it, or at least the kingdom of darkness, it is looking as it, as if it's coming head on. Yeah. So in that sense, the, Political systems or, or power will use the levers that they know how to use to achieve their ends, right? And so they're going to sure. uh, respond to this uh, sideways attack with what they consider a frontal assault there to challenge and to subvert this um this different kingdom. And it is important, like as we talk about this, we've we've actually not mentioned this, and it's quite fundamental when we talk about the kingdom of God, it's actually based around the central idea that Jesus is the king. Yeah. And so we, you know, we'll come back to how that plays out. But of course, in his crucifixion, we see this, you know, it's like a flashing red lights. Yeah. Hey, look here. And yeah. how, do, <laughs> how do you know that Jesus is the king? Because even Pilate gets Yeah. This, even right? Pilate understands the this king, one. Jesus of Nazareth, king of the Jews, sometimes, um, if you don't know your Latin or very well, we see pictures of the cross that have I N R I, and that's just the first four letters of the Latin terms, Jesus of Nazareth, 
is the I-N, and then Rex Udiorum, the king of the Jews. And so okay. That uh, helps you maybe understand a little bit of the, the pictures of the cross that you might see. But the whole idea there is that Jesus is this king, and so you can't talk about the kingdom of God without talking about Jesus as the focal point of how that kingdom, you know, who is the king and how does that kingdom play out. Yeah, and we're going to talk more about this in, in a few episodes in, in the series, but I do think uh, an important note of that is uh, they even recognize him as a king, even if it's mockery, but they go above and beyond to acknowledge him as king in mocking him with the purple cloth. Purple cloth is quite expensive, and they're ruining it by putting it on a bloody man. Like Jesus, they're all throughout. There are these uh, scenes or these little hints that Jesus is the king. Yeah, crown of thorns. Yeah, I mean, it's, yep. you know, all these things that are, uh, again, mocking this. And yet it, for us, is kind of helps, you know, shows that this is the climax of what Jesus has been doing for the past three years of his ministry. Yeah, yeah. Good stuff. Well, guys, that's an introduction to the kingdom of God. Come back and join us next week and for about seven more weeks as we dive deeper into this deeply, deeply fundamental uh, concern and construction point for our theology.